much. Okay, well, this week um, won't be dominated by COVID-19 or Black Lives Matter, so that makes a change. Uh, they will be there, uh, but this week I do think, that at least from our angle, um, the most um, interesting uh, news item is the sacking from the shadow cabinet of uh, Rebecca Long uh, Bailey. Um, obviously out of the blue, um, who would have uh, guessed it? Um, and why? Not really because of anything particularly she did or said or thought, uh, but for the crime of uh, retweeting um, an interview with uh, Maxine uh, Peake, famous uh, uh, actor and left-wing actor, it should be uh, stressed. Um, the main thing that impressed uh, Rebecca clearly about uh, the um, interview in The Independent was uh, the call by uh, Maxine Peake uh, to stay in the Labour Party and fight. Uh, she's standing on her um, Corbynista credentials. Uh, clearly for her, the failure of uh, the Labour Party to win the last election was a bitter experience. And for Rebecca Long-Bailey, um, I suspect she'll be in a better position than I am to judge what is uh, disturbing about the present situation is that uh, having seen the election of Starmer and uh, the uh, line of political march uh, that he's on uh, to the right, uh, lots of people who joined uh, the Labour Party to put Corbyn into uh, the position of leader or joined after he'd been elected as leader um, are leaving the party. Mm. Uh, to go where, I don't know. Uh, but that was the main uh, thing uh, about the independent um, article. Uh, the stuff about Black Lives Matter and uh, Floyd and uh, the Israeli secret um, service uh, all of that was secondary. Now, my guess is, uh, this pure, pure guess, um, but it's not wild uh, uh, guessing, is that um, there are those whose full-time job uh, consists of sitting in front of a computer screen and maybe a computer that is actually doing its own search of uh, all manner uh, of different Facebook accounts, all manner of tweets, uh, all manner of uh, different newspaper uh, uh, articles. So it wasn't uh, Maxine Peake's uh, interview uh, that became the story. I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about uh, that interview. I hadn't seen any reference to it. Maybe that, uh, uh, you know, exposes my ignorance and lack of reading. Uh, but no, it was the fact that uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey re retweeted it and said that she liked it uh, became the story. And as soon as that became the story, sides were taken and uh, Starmer uh, then uh, acted. Uh, we have this story, and I presume it's accurate, that initially there was talk of some statement and agreed formulation uh, before she took down uh, um, uh, that from her uh, from her account. Either way, it didn't happen fast enough as far as Starmer was concerned, 
And here was a golden opportunity for him to display his uh, zero tolerance uh, that he promised uh, having been elected Labour leader. Remember his broadcast from home, uh, he said his number one priority was restoring uh, the trust from the Jewish community. What exactly the Jewish community is, I don't know, uh, but I think you can interpret that to mean the Zionist uh, community, which is clearly not all Jews. It's clearly a lot of Jews, but not all by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, so uh, what is the crime? Well, the crime is apparently um, an anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theory. In other words, the implication here, you know, if you use these words, anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, the implication is that somehow Jews right, are responsible for the oppression of uh, black people uh, and the death uh, of black people uh, in the United States. Well, I, I find no evidence for that in terms of what Maxine Peake said uh, in her interview um, or uh, any evidence that that was the intention or the implication in Rebecca Long Bailey uh, re-posting uh, uh, this uh, article. It's certainly the case uh, that Maxine Peake was wrongly informed. Um, from what I understand, perhaps the origin of her uh, story is in a report in the Morning Star, um, which was talking about uh, the links between the US and Israeli police. Not the secret services, the police. And that's um, just a, a common or garden fact. Uh, the Israeli police do have contacts on a regular basis uh, with the US police, but it's certainly not the case uh, that uh, the, um, it, it, the, the American police uh, learnt uh, to uh, kneel on someone's neck um, from the Israeli police. Uh, that's been um, in the police manuals, believe it or not, um, in a number of different U.S. states. That's a legitimate uh, way to respond uh, to someone you've detained, believe it or not, seriously. But they didn't need to learn that uh, from um, the Israeli police, let alone the Israeli secret services. Um, all you need to <laughs> know is the, the existence of slavery in the United States and then the existence of um, a systematic racism um, in the United States, particularly, obviously, uh, uh, in the South. And uh, that will be the normal sort of way uh, that uh, U.S. policemen, especially in the South, not only in the South, but especially in the South, would have dealt with people. You know, shoot first, ask questions uh, uh, later. That would have been um, uh, standard. Uh, in terms of um, this story, though, uh, of course, what uh, we've got is photojournalists uh, comparing, uh, um, you know, Minneapolis with what's going on uh, with uh, Palestinians and Israeli uh, Arabs. And, of course, you've got countless pictures of Israeli policemen and Israeli soldiers uh, treating Palestinians in exactly the same way um, in terms of using brutal uh, oppression, uh, life-threatening 
um, restraint uh, te techniques. Um, so yes, there is something in common, uh, but uh, I don't think either side uh, have learned that particular uh, uh, technique um, um, off uh, uh, each uh, other. So Maxine Peake uh, found that out. Uh, she had issued a statement, very brief statement, saying that that was wrong, it is wrong, uh, but then she said that she's not an anti-Semite and she's not an anti-racist, and uh, I think that's obvious uh, that that's the case. So uh, it then becomes, well, what about Keir Starmer? What was he doing? Was he out to uh, clear out uh, the last um, uh, prominent uh, Corbynista from the shadow cabinet? I don't really take that angle myself. I don't think that was his aim. Uh, after all, why include her uh, to begin with, if, if that was your aim? Uh, uh, in terms of uh, Corbyn's supporters, the numbers in the campaign group, uh, the socialist campaign group, they're pretty marginal in terms of the uh, parliamentary uh, Labour Party. No, to me, what this is about is demonstrating his uh, decisive uh, leadership, and it's about fulfilling his pledge uh, uh, to the Jewish community that I've already uh, referred to. And yes, uh, if you look at the reaction um, uh, from the establishment, it's been one of approval. Uh, compare Keir Starmer uh, with the dithering um, uh, Boris Johnson when it comes to his housing minister. Look how decisively uh, he acted, and he's acting against this... Uh, uh, infection uh, in the Labour Party uh, that Jeremy Corbyn admitted uh, but couldn't uh, uh, deal with. So from the Board of uh, uh, British Deputies, uh, we've had the thumbs up that this is a, a good move and we welcome it. From the all-party group uh, against anti-Semitism, so I presume that will include Lib Dems, I presume that also includes Tories, again, praise uh, for Keir Starmer, he's done the right thing. And across uh, the Labour right, uh, from all the usual suspects, Margaret Hodge, Tony Blair, Peter Mandelson, and one could carry on uh, down the list, praise, praise, praise uh, for Keir Starmer. And obviously this plays into the narrative that Keir Starmer wants to establish of uh, a Labour Party leader uh, that acts according to what they've said, and acts in a way that leaves behind uh, uh, the Jeremy Corbyn uh, years. And as a result of that, uh, all you need to do is look at the opinion polls. It's working there, um, and what you've got is Keir Starmer above uh, Boris Johnson. Of course, you have to say that that is in part how Keir Starmer is acting, and also how uh, Boris Johnson isn't acting. Uh, when it comes to his uh, uh, housing minister and when it comes to COVID-19, though I mentioned it, uh, and a whole number of other uh, issues. Okay, but on the other hand, and I wasn't really expecting it, I have to confess, what we suddenly saw on the Labour left is an outbreak of solidarity, uh, which, uh, yeah, as I said, I wasn't expecting it. Um, so, yeah, I heard John MacDonald has issued a statement in solidarity with Rebecca Long uh, 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 Bailey, and we heard others. And we saw uh, 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 John Landsman and uh, uh, Momentum 
uh, backing a petition calling for her reinstatement uh, into uh, the shadow uh, cabinet. I, I have to say that, welcome though this is, it obviously poses the question of why individuals like that never raise their voices when people like Tony Greenstein were charged with anti-Semitism. Chris Williamson, Jackie Walker, uh, Mark Wadsworth, Ken Livingston. Why, why when, the, when they were charged, and not always uh, followed through with on that charge, remember, but why when they were charged with being anti-Semites, didn't the likes, the likes of uh, uh, John Landsman and uh, um, John McDonnell, Diane Abbott, and the campaign group, why didn't they show any elemental, not even a smidgen, uh, of solidarity uh, with them? Well, in terms of having gone through this witch hunt um, um, in the previous phase, my explanation, and that's what we've been arguing all the way along, is that the consensus in the uh, Corbyn camp, and one presumes that this was the advice uh, given to Corbyn and his inner circle uh, by the great strategist, you know, Andrew Murray and Seamus Milne, is that it's the economy stupid. That if you keep banging on the economy, if you keep attacking austerity, this is your way into number 10. And if friends have to be sacrificed, then that is something uh, that's worthwhile. Uh, that it's justified to see uh, these people thrown to the wolves uh, if we can get Corbyn into number 10 Downing Street and John McDonald uh, into number 11 uh, Downing Street. Given the failure of that strategy, given the extent of the defeat of uh, the Labour Party under the leadership of Corbyn in the December 2019 general election, um, given the failure of Rebecca Long-Bailey uh, to become the continuity uh, leader, not candidate, continuity leader, um, we've suddenly got a position uh, of where that prize uh, is no longer in front of them. Um, and I, that's how I explain uh, the outbreak uh, of solidarity. Um, it's also true... Uh, but it was always true, but it's also true with Rebecca Long-Bailey, given that the, she was the most prominent representative uh, of the socialist campaign group in the Shadow Cabinet, if she can be got rid of for spreading an anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theory uh, that is saying that there are links between uh, the US and Israeli um, 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 states and the forces of oppression, if that, is, if that becomes a conspiracy theory, then what about John McDonnell? What about the others uh, um, um, in the socialist campaign group? Can't they too also be charged with anti-Semitism and uh, peddling um, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories? Well, if you define what Maxine Peake says as an anti-Semitic uh, um, a conspiracy theory, the answer to that question is yes, they can be charged. And in terms of those in charge uh, of this witch hunt, I'm sure they've got the relevant quotations uh, from Jeremy Corbyn, John McDonnell, Diane Abbott, and one can 
um, extend uh, the list. Okay, the problem uh, that the Socialist Campaign Group has got itself into, though, is that they've already sold the pass. Uh, that if you take their uh, willingness, in the case of Corbyn, uh, he had to be dragged uh, kicking and screaming. But nonetheless, uh, this is what's happened, is that the Labour Party itself, through the NEC, has adopted this so-called definition of anti-Semitism, uh, pushed around by the International Holocaust Remembrance Association, and all the examples uh, that go with it, that basically make it uh, anti-Semitic to criticise uh, uh, Israel, certainly makes it anti-Semitic to criticise the underlying rationale of Israel, which of course is uh, a colonialist, a settler colonialist uh, project. But also to make matters worse, uh, what we've had is the, the candidates to the leadership contest not the deputy leadership, but the leadership contest, also uh, uh, bow down uh, to the Ten Commandments uh, issued by the Board of uh, British uh, um, um, uh, Jews, and uh, that includes outsourcing uh, labour discipline, uh, remember. Uh, absolutely outrageous uh, demands. And also, of course, we had uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey herself saying that, well, I must be a Zionist. She was trying to appease uh, the witch hunters because she supports Israel's continued right to exist, as if that is actually in jeopardy. Uh, and she says she supports the right to self-determination. Well, uh, we don't support Israel's right to uh, exist as a Zionist state, uh, as a state that's built on discrimination, uh, and a denial of the right, uh, rights of the uh, native inhabitants. We do not support the continued uh, existence of Israel in the same way that if you'd asked me, uh, do you support the continued uh, existence of the South African apartheid state, I would have unhesitatingly said, no, I don't support uh, um, uh, the South African apartheid uh, state. Uh, if you'd asked me, uh, do you support the right of uh, uh, South Africa to represent white self-determination of all whites on a planetary basis? Uh, I would have laughed at you. Well, that's effectively uh, what Rebecca Long-Bailey uh, is endorsing. Uh, the idea that in Israel uh, you have uh, the right of self-determination of a people who have nothing in common apart from uh, um, a... Um, either a living uh, uh, common religion or a recently common religion. I don't know what percentage of, uh, is, is, uh, of, of Jews are uh, atheists or agnostics, but I think it's reasonably safe to say around about a half. But you can still be a Jew because your parents were Jewish or your grandparents were Jewish. Um, either way... Uh, do these people have the right to self-determination? We would say that's an absurdity. Do they have the right to go into someone else's land on the basis of a, uh, a book that was written thousands of years ago? Uh, we would go, no, that's, uh, that's crazy. That, that's uh, ridiculous. And that's what she should have said. Now, my own position uh, is 
that I want to see uh, the merger um, of uh, Israeli Jews, the Hebrew people, as Moshe Makover calls them, because they have a common language, a common culture. I want to see the merger uh, of those peoples uh, with the Arabs uh, who live in the Middle East. Uh, but I would stress that that merger is best brought about uh, uh, peacefully, is best brought about democratically. And the argument that we put forward is that the only realistic route uh, must be uh, the socialist route, that the, the working class in the Arab world uh, have to come to power, and that can offer uh, the Israeli Hebrew masses uh, something. Uh, we're not putting forward uh, to them uh, the position, well, you can become second-class citizens um, in a one-state uh, Palestine, uh, where you have religious but not national rights. In my view, uh, what we've seen in Israel, I don't know what date you want to give it, but let's call it since um, uh, the formation of the State of Israel. You can make an argument about the situation prior to that. But certainly since 1947-48, a definite nation has come into existence. It's not a Jewish nation. It's an Israeli Jewish nation. You could call it a Hebrew nation. Not a Jewish nation across the world, though. Okay, uh, that's a long um, detour from Rebecca Long-Bailey. Uh, but back uh, to her, uh, in terms of those that are commenting um, on it, I read uh, a reasonable defence of her um, in Socialist Worker by Comrade Nick Clark. He makes the point quite rightly, this has got nothing to do with combating anti-Semitism. This is about delegitimizing solidarity uh, with the Palestinians, and I think that that's absolutely right. But he concludes his article saying that what this shows is that the right place for socialists is outside the Labour Party. Well, that, first of all, I suppose, um, concedes what I really wouldn't concede, but okay, I'm not going to make too much of a fight over it, uh, that Rebecca Long-Bailey is a socialist. Well, okay, a reformist socialist, okay. Uh, someone who offers bourgeois socialism, uh, a reformed capitalism, or a nicer capitalism. Okay, okay. But no, 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 Nick. Uh, I don't think that's true. Uh, what we should be doing is backing those in the Labour Party on the left, including socialists, who are fighting this witch hunt. What we need to be fighting for is trade unions uh, to become involved with the left, with the socialists in transforming the Labour Party uh, and we put forward the idea of a united workers' front. That was the original conception uh, of the Labour Party. All factions um, of the working class movement, all trade unions, all uh, cooperatives in the Labour Party and of course what we fight for is the leadership um, of that party by Marxists. Now whether we succeed uh, that's a different question. I suspect the chances of us succeeding uh, um, aren't great, but not to engage in that fight, in my view, uh, is to give up uh, too early. We need to engage in uh, uh, that fight. Um, okay, the other question, the last question on this um, um, uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey direct uh, question is, should we be calling for her to be reinstated um, into uh, the shadow cabinet. Um, well, I think you can 
oppose her being sacked, uh, but I actually don't think it's a correct slogan to say she should be reinstated. What the hell is someone who describes themselves as a socialist, that's what she calls herself, what is she doing in a, an overtly pro-capitalist alternative government? What's she doing there in the first place? She shouldn't be uh, in the shadow cabinet. You should refuse seats in the shadow cabinet, and you should be sitting on the opposition benches way from uh, the front benches. You should be sitting at the back. We should be constituting ourselves the mountain, uh, uh, not uh, uh, the plain. Famously in the French Revolution, remember, uh, the Jacobins sat, sat at the back of the National Convention. Their name was Mountain because they were right up high and uh, Robespierre would heap abuse on those in the front benches. That's what genuine socialists should be doing. Not just attacking Boris Johnson in the name of, uh, let's, you know, have a Labour government and any Labour government is better than a Tory government. She and genuine socialists, if she's a genuine socialist, should be attacking the front bench. Uh, and that means Keir Starmer, that means his shadow uh, cabinet. Uh, um, so no, uh, I don't uh, agree with the slogan uh, of reinstatement. Uh, I don't think the job of the left, of socialists in the Labour Party, is to work from within inside um, um, an alternative bourgeois uh, uh, government and to pressurise it in a pro-trade union uh, direction. Uh, that is classic, um, I don't know, Millerandism or Bernsteinism. Uh, nothing to do with any uh, genuine uh, socialism. The last point I would make is just really to uh, say that I think that the Labour left is all over the place. They've seen their ideal manifesto, their ideal leader, their ideal shadow chancellor, their ideal uh, shadow uh, home secretary, humiliated in the polls. Um, clearly the general election uh, wasn't just about Brexit, it was about Brexit, but it wasn't just about Brexit. Um, the Labour Party lost, it lost badly, and then the Labour left have seen their continuity candidate humiliated uh, by Keir Starmer, including in uh, Jeremy Corbyn's own uh, constituency, the Labour Party. The position of the Labour left seems to me, in this uh, utterly confusing um, situation for them, having been on the sort of uh, crest of a wave and now in the, um, you know, the, the depths of uh, defeat, uh, to be twofold. One, the lesson is there, um, go to the right. And I don't know how many in the socialist campaign group hold that position, uh, whether it's a minority or a majority, but clearly there's a big slice of the campaign group itself that want to placate Keir Starmer, of want to pursue a project of unity with what they would call the centre. And for them, Keir Starmer would epitomise the centre. Um, others perhaps uh, want to uh, defend the heritage of Jeremy Corbyn, John MacDonald, Diane Abbott, and the 2017-2019 general election manifesto. Uh, either way, um, neither of them are road to uh, anywhere. All I would say, though, is if you want to look at which way things are going, 
look at the decision of the Labour Representation Committee, uh, a faction that's close-ish to John McDonnell, um, break its relationship with the uh, um, um, Labour Left Alliance project and go instead with Don't Leave um, Organise. Um, and Don't Leave Organise says what it says um, on the tin, um, that this isn't on the basis of any clear uh, programmatic perspectives. It's about keeping people in uh, the Labour Party and clearly uh, the project will be about getting um, the next Labour government, and one presumes Keir Starmer this time, into number 10. Okay. Um, right. Moving on. Well, suddenly, uh, this whole question of Rebecca Long-Bailey, the um, um, anti-Zionism equals anti-Semitism witch hunt, uh, this has become absolutely of the moment, not just in terms of um, Labour Party politics, but global uh, politics. Because what we have, mm, I'm not saying to my total surprise, but I, you know, well, um, when I read it, I went, bloody hell. Yes, uh, the, lab the, um, the Israeli uh, cabinet is meeting today, and that includes the Labour Party, blue and white, uh, Likud, and they've already agreed uh, to go ahead uh, with the annexation of uh, the Jordan Valley and the um, settlements um, on the West Bank if they are given the go-ahead uh, by uh, Donald Trump and uh, the U.S. administration in Washington. Uh, we don't know what uh, the U.S. administration is going to say, uh, the reports are of divisions, but clearly it's up to Donald Trump to choose. Um, given his popularity uh, ratings in the U.S., um, the well, my guess would be, for what it's worth, is he'll go for something bold, something daring, uh, something that throws the cat amongst the pigeons, and he will give the go-ahead. Uh, but on the other hand, we know that that uh, course isn't just going to produce a few demonstrations in capital cities and demonstrations in the Gaza Strip and on the West Bank. Uh, this has the possibility of setting the whole of the Middle East aflame. Um, you know, one can imagine preemptive strikes against uh, Iran by Israel. Uh, one can imagine strikes by Hezbollah uh, from Lebanon. One can imagine Israeli counter-strikes. Uh, one can imagine uh, Israel striking against Jordan. Um, you know, uh, who knows? Uh, one can certainly imagine uh, the situation in Syria um, um, suddenly, um, um, you know, um, exploding uh, once uh, again. Also, what's interesting about uh, the possibility of um, uh, annexation, something I've been raising simply because this is the uh, deadline that uh, Trump in his deal of the century gave the Palestinian authorities. Uh, they, he, he gave them until July uh, uh, of this year to either accept it or reject it. Well, they've rejected it. Um, and then he said, well, Israel can have the go-ahead to act um, um, after six months. 
and uh, the six months are just about to pass. So hence the um, Israeli cabinet. Um, I thought they might delay. Uh, I've read articles in the Israeli press saying that Netanyahu is never really serious about these annexations that he was using in them in his keep out of jail general elections. Uh, over, you know, the last three general elections has been about uh, keeping Netanyahu out of prison. Um, but he was totally cynical about it and he's playing to the right uh, and trying to outmaneuver um, his opponents. Uh, but on the other hand, when he did his acceptance speech, what was noticeable is his uh, statement about the next glorious uh, chapter in the history of Zionism. And that's exactly the point, that Zionism is, pr Zionism is predicated in uh, removing the native population and, uh, and occupying the whole of pre-mandate, no, mandate, excuse me, uh, uh, Palestine. So that means uh, not only uh, what Israel has got, but also what Israel seized um, in the Six-Day uh, War. Okay, so under those circumstances of Israel seeming to be waiting for the green light from Washington, we have Lisa Nandy the shadow foreign secretary, saying that we don't approve of this annexation. And she's proposing that if it goes ahead, uh, that uh, Britain should uh, um, um, boycott um, all goods coming from the um, illegally annexed uh, uh, areas uh, of uh, um, what, which, what, which would be now Israel how they distinguish uh, between what's made in um, um, you know Tel Aviv and what's uh, made um, you know on an Israeli settlement or on the Jordan Valley I don't know you know how do you tell two oranges apart uh, I, it's beyond me but nonetheless there's the gesture now is what Lisa Nandy saying is that anti-semitic uh, that you oppose um, Zionist expansionism, um, well, this is the danger precisely for the Zionists, uh, that do they go that far and risk total alienation? Uh, because it's not only Lisa Nandy, uh, this is something that the British government itself has made its position clear on. So we have Boris Johnson, a spokesperson on his behalf, saying that uh, the British government is against any annexations. Well, we know that uh, Jerusalem has been annexed. We know the Golan Heights uh, has been annexed. Uh, but this annexation, they are against it. And the British government is for a two-state solution, uh, just like uh, the Labour Party, uh, uh, just like the Alliance uh, for Workers' uh, Liberty. Um, and um, um, Obama and the Democrats, um, it's Trump and it's Netanyahu uh, that represent a break from that nonsense. It's a nonsense because if we look at the geopolitical realities, uh, that state, uh, the Palestinian state, would never be viable. And the reality was that the uh, Israeli um, regime agreed to a two-state solution in a purely cynical way. If it was a, a sincere commitment, why do you keep planting settlements on the West Bank? Why are you actually making facts on the ground? So clearly the plan has been 
uh, to annex the West Bank. They don't want to annex uh, the Gaza Strip, which has been described as the biggest open prison on earth. Far too many Palestinians, and why do you want a, a tiny strip of land like that? But the annexation um, of uh, the settlements and the annexation of the Jordan Valley, that would not go hand in hand with granting any Palestinians who are living there Israeli citizenship, right? That needs to be understood. And indeed, almost certainly, uh, the plan would be that if there's armed conflict, this will become an excuse to force people out from that land and possibly uh, also uh, either deteriorate the civil position or actually remove the 20% of the Israeli population who are also Arabs uh, out of Israel and maybe over the Jordan Valley uh, into Jordan. Who knows? Uh, but that is a possibility. So in terms of um, the international bourgeoisie, the position has been for some considerable time uh, to uh, advocate a two-state solution. This is now going hand-in-hand hand with uh, with the threat to Israel of recognition of a Palestinian state. Well, it's a joke, isn't it? A state over what territory? Uh, territory occupied by a foreign army um, whose population is being cleared out. Uh, but this is the gesture uh, that people like Lisa Nandy and the Labour Party and various uh, European politicians uh, are making. So in terms of Europe, we've got the signatures of a thousand leading EU politicians. I do stress the word leading. We're not dealing with the Green Party or ex-official communist parties. We're dealing with Christian democracy and the like. Uh, these people have come out against the annexation and uh, basically saying to Israel, don't do it. And that's also true uh, in terms of um, uh, liberal Zionists in Britain. There's a split uh, between what I'll call liberal Zionists, and I don't know any other word for it. Uh, the word reactionary Zionists doesn't really work, but so I just use the word right-wing Zionists, uh, so forgive me uh, for the terminology. But people like Michael Howard um, has come out against the annexation. We've already spoken last week uh, about people like Simon Sharma, uh, Malcolm Rifkin, uh, Luciana Berger, um, you know, a whole list of uh, these liberal uh, Zionists, but how that split uh, the Zionist community uh, in Britain, because the, the board has come out and said that it will work uh, with whatever Israeli government, and it certainly hasn't come out and condemned uh, the plans for annexation. Uh, but clearly these liberal Zionists uh, think that uh, uh, their defense of Israel uh, becomes either impossible or highly problematic uh, if this annexation goes ahead. Um, so exactly how they're going to define anti-Semitism uh, now, um, it, you know, it, it's an open question. Uh, does Lisa Nandy get defined as anti-Semitism? Does uh, uh, Simon Sharma uh, join uh, the self-hating Jews? Uh, I don't know. Uh, this is something that will be decided um, by the struggle itself. Okay. 
swiftly moving on. Uh, the killings in Glasgow, death of a policeman, shooting of uh, an asylum seeker. Uh, you just have to say that if you lock people up, and that's effectively what the authorities have been doing, in a room uh, without ac access uh, to the open air, um, you, you should expect people to go mad. And this guy has been complaining about his mental condition. But if you keep people under those conditions, that is what people do. You know, human beings, you know, uh, have a body. Human beings have uh, what Marx talked about as uh, a species being. And our species is naturally sociable. It's gregarious. Um, so the lockdown... Uh, combined with being a, an asylum seeker, clearly affects one's mental state. Uh, it's inhuman. It's criminal. So, of course, what this guy did was uh, horrible, uh, but we need to understand it. And we need to understand it as something that's being done to him as much as something that he's done to others. In terms of Nigel Farage blaming illegal migrants, you get the general idea that if you're an asylum seeker, you're illegal. Um, you know, um, so one presumes uh, that uh, Jews coming uh, to Britain uh, from Nazi Germany were also uh, illegal migrants, and that was the discourse of the 1930s, uh, that uh, Tsarism, Nazi Germany, was dumping onto Britain and onto the United States, what they called openly in papers like The Times, The Daily Mail, the human scum of the earth, uh, and disgracefully, in the early part of the 20th century, a message echoed uh, by the TUC and by uh, Labour leaders uh, such as Sidney Webb, uh, who boasted about British Labourism not being infected uh, with the Judaism um, of European social uh, democracy. People are calling for the revival of Clause 4. Have a think about it. Okay, moving on, um, same theme, block parties, crowded beaches, crowded parks. What do you expect after uh, Cummings? What do you expect after two months of lockdown when most people at the bottom end of the working class don't have gardens, don't have second homes, don't have country estates uh, to retreat to? Given our human species and our nature we want to mix with each other and if you have to uh, uh, mix and you don't have a garden you go to the park uh, you go to the beach um, and if the beach is crowded well it's crowded um, now again uh, this says something about the condition that the working class under capitalism is forced to live under um, you know why not open up Buckingham Palace uh, why not open up uh, more areas uh, of Britain? Why not confiscate second homes? Uh, why should people live in crowded um, second-class, third-class, fourth-class hotels when there are huge mansions um, unoccupied uh, in Mayfair, uh, for example? Okay, US, I finally get to COVID-19 proper. Um, U.S. 126,000 deaths. Uh, in general, what you see in the United States in terms of this pandemic, huge increase and then a sharp uh, downturn. 
Um, so in terms of um, the infection rate in the United States, it has been going down. And in terms of the United States, in terms of the world uh, rate of infection, um, it's no, by no means at the top. You know, that, that honour, at least last time I looked, is, uh, um, you know, countries like Britain, Belgium, um, Sweden, they're way above uh, the United States. But in terms of the United States, what we've seen is areas uh, that weren't in the storm center of the first wave. These have been the states that were the least reluctant to go for um, a lockdown and the most enthusiastic to come out of lockdown. Suddenly what you see is uh, when you come to the, the southern states and the midwestern states is you see a pattern of a much lower increase initially, uh, but now a sharp increase. And of course, these states are mainly uh, uh, Republican states, although you've got California, uh, which is um, West Coast. Uh, what we're talking about is Texas, big, big population, Florida, a big population, and states like Arizona. Well, these states will matter uh, when it comes to the presidential election. It is these states uh, that did it uh, for um, Trump. Uh, they delivered uh, the Trump vote. And what we've seen is uh, a record high of 40,000 new cases. And, of course, the um, uh, administration is blaming, of all things, well, we're doing more tests. No, what's going up is the infection rate is actually going up in these states. It's not a question of testing. Uh, it's actually infections are going up and therefore deaths uh, are going up and what you've got of course is a, a president who when it comes to his rallies is visibly uh, not masked and his followers are not encouraged to mask and are not encouraged to even socially uh, distance so he, he's a sort of the the denialist uh, uh, president when it comes to covid 19. Okay, just uh, in just Britain, finally, on COVID-19, is we have Johnson promising to unveil on Tuesday, I think it is, his version of post-COVID Keynesianism. Uh, not austerity, but uh, stimulus. Presumably they'll borrow uh, uh, on a big scale because interest rates are so low, uh, but they promise to build their way uh, into a new prosperity. This is illusory, by the way. Keynesianism is an illusion. It's not a reality. You cannot just spend, spend, spend. Uh, you cannot just print, print, print money. And I know we're not printing it in that sense, but you know what I mean. You cannot just create money electronically. It, in the last analysis, it represents value. Uh, Keynesianism is actually, in reality, associated with either the run-up uh, to World War II, um, uh, and it's World War II, uh, is the arms industry, both in Britain and the United States, and then the post-World War boom that saw the destruction of capital in uh, Europe and in Japan, and a huge demand in Europe, yes, with America using some of its massive surplus to stimulate the European and uh, Japanese market, also as part of their attempt uh, to um, defeat uh, the threat of official uh, communism. So America uh, not only backed the revival 
of the economies of uh, Europe and Japan. It also backed uh, the post-World War II social democratic settlement, um, something obviously that Trump um, isn't doing uh, when it comes to um, foreign countries. Last two things, Ireland, coalition government, I, I haven't yet learned how to pronounce, I've only heard it pronounced once, the new uh, Irish Taoiseach, um, Michael, Mikey, uh, anyway, the Gaelic version of Michael, Michael Martin, he's now the Taoiseach, uh, we have a coalition government between Fine Foyle, Fine Gael, the two parties that came out of uh, the civil war out of Sinn Féin, old Sinn Féin, plus the Greens. Um, is this uh, anti-Sinn Féin? We're talking about modern Sinn Féin conspiracy. No. Is this uh, coalition um, the result of the threat to the Irish economy of COVID-19? No, I don't really buy that. Uh, but it's certainly true uh, that if there's a no-deal Brexit, the Irish economy is in a far weaker position uh, to withstand that than Europe is, that state in the obvious, but also Britain. Uh, Ireland, um, because of its geography, because of its history, because of its trade links and all the rest of it, uh, is very, very dependent uh, on the British market, much, much less so than it was. Nonetheless, the British market... Um, is crucial for the Irish economy. Lastly, this is me having a little bit of fun, uh, back to Black Lives Matter, and uh, this time it's Justin Welby, who was interviewed, this is the Archbishop of Canterbury, head of the, well, not head, um, anyway, you know, Chief Bishop in the Church of England. Um, he was interviewed by the Daily Mirror, um, and when they raised up the question of, you go into a Church of England church, and there you are, there's a stained glass window, there's a statue, there's Jesus, and how does Jesus look? Well, he looks very Northwest European, doesn't he? He's white. Often he's even blonde. Sometimes he's got blue eyes. And uh, Justin was uh, questioned about this and went, yes, well, okay. Actually, the truth of it is, if you go to the more trendy Church of England churches, and I have to confess I'm not in the habit of doing it, but I've done it, uh, you can find in Britain black Jesuses. Certainly if you go to Anglican churches nowadays in Africa, uh, you'll find plenty of black Jesuses. Uh, you can find Chinese-looking Jesuses. You can find Indian-looking Jesuses. You can find Native American-looking Jesuses. You can even find some Middle Eastern-looking Jesus. As uh, uh, Justin Welby said, that's most likely what he actually really looked like. So yes, he he's a bit a da he's a bit a, a downer uh, on the uh, northwest European blue-eyed, blonde-haired uh, Jesus nowadays. Uh, but I would just point out something to Justin that not only uh, was Jesus unlikely had unlikely to have been blonde, he could have been, but it's very unlikely. Very unlikely he'd be very pale-skinned, and it's very unlikely he'll be blue-eyed. Uh, but one thing he certainly wasn't was a Christian. Almost certainly what he was was a militant Jew, uh, an intolerant Jew. He hated the Romans. He would have hated the Greeks. Uh, but also what he was was an apocalyptic revolutionary. Uh, he thought that he could bring uh, the kingdom of God to earth. Jews didn't believe in heaven. 
um, he thought that there would be a revolution, an anti-Roman, um, but also an anti-aristocratic revolution, and the poor will inherit the earth, not just Palestine, but the earth. Uh, the um, Jesus party would be the world vanguard um, in terms of bringing about this liberation. But it should also be pointed out uh, to Justin Welby uh, that Christianity is institutionally anti-Semitic. Right? Institutionally. Why institutionally? Because the New Testament is anti-Semitic. And what you have in the four main um, um, Gospels of the New Testament, as they were written... Uh, as they were committed to paper, an ever deeper and more foul um, anti-Semitic um, narrative introduced uh, into it. So what we have is Jesus talking about the Jews being the enemy, the Jews persecuting him, the Jews being the problem. His Jewish uh, disciples don't understand him. Uh, he's opposed uh, by the... Um, um, the rabbis, he's, he's, he's opposed uh, uh, by the population. And what we have in terms of the death story of, um, of Jesus is that the Jews kill him, not the Romans, the Jews kill him. Pontius Pilate turns to the, the Jewish priests and the Jewish population in Jerusalem. They're gathered there, supposedly, uh, at Passover and says, who should I set free, Barabbas or Jesus? And the mob shout out, uh, Barabbas, uh, the thief. Um, and uh, the head priest goes in front of um, um, Pilate and he, he says, on, uh, on us it will be, and on our children and their children. So in terms of Christianity, uh, they blame the death of God in human form, on the Jews. That is in the Bible. So we're not just talking about the representation of Jesus as a white, uh, northern, northwestern European male. We're not just talking about that. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the New Testament, of course, not uh, uh, the Old Testament. The New Testament is anti-Semitic. Why did it become anti Semitic. Why did Christianity become anti-Semitic? Because the followers of St. Paul were trying to, or the inheritors of the followers of St. Paul, were trying to distance themselves from the Jewish revolution, the Jewish revolution in Palestine uh, that began in AD 66, that was associated uh, with um, uh, the Zealots, uh, but also uh, people like those that uh, wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls and also those that followed uh, uh, Jesus, but also his brother, uh, uh, James, the first head uh, of the Jesus party post-Jesus. So I'm not calling for uh, Christianity to be banned. I'm not calling for uh, the Bible uh, to be banned or the New Testament to be removed or re-edited. But I am just saying... Uh, that that is genuine uh, anti-Semitism, and it has deep roots um, in Christian culture that we ought to be aware of. So as well as uh, Western culture, in particular US, uh, British culture, but also you know Spanish and Portuguese culture, having this um, um, African trade, African slave trade uh, heritage uh, to it, 
we need to understand uh, that uh, Christianity itself has this uh, anti-Semitism. And I'm not trying to call anyone out and uh, say we all ought to be, um, you know, feeling deep sense of guilt about it. But that is a fact, and uh, we ought to have a, we ought to raise the discussion uh, on this question. Okay, that's it. Thanks.